Well, you know, you're listening to Talk Rope Nation. You might know I'm Jim Ross, the voice of AEW, and we're glad you're with us. We're going to have one hell of a podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, it is now time. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. I finished these fights. Give me a hell yeah. Top Rope Nation. Learn to love it. It's the best thing going today. What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Episode 207, I believe, of Top Rope Nation. My name's Ryan Drosty. I'm here with the boys, Kyle Ross and Justin Joint. Holy crap, guys, we've got a jam-packed forum tonight. The agenda is long and distinguished, Kyle Ross. Uh, yes, it is. And, you know, I've got a nice glass of tequila, Cinco de Mayo, one day late. Uh, by the way, Cinco de Mayo, the day that I met my wife nine years ago. No kidding. Oh, congrats. True story. We're at uh, the local racetrack, of course. <laughs> Very nice. It was it was uh, Derby Day. Oh, there you go. That day. So, yeah, her, her big uh, horse person and me a big gambler. It was fate. Nice. Ironically, I bought her a tequila shot. First thing I ever bought her. And the last. <laughs> well, I hope I, <laughs> I hope you enjoyed a drink with your wife before you got on to talk pro wrestling with us tonight, Kyle. Who? <laughs> enjoyed a toast with Cammy, and yes. not just for your the day that you met, but also to toast AEW and their big ratings victory mm. last night, which we're going to talk about here in just a minute. Justin Joint, I saw you last weekend. We were toasting to the Tottenham Hotspurs. How's it going? Great. Um, unfortunate for you with, with that result, we had uh, Gareth Bell getting a uh, hat trick. Um, I think you're going to have to watch Tottenham with me all the time now. <laughs> I think you might be the good luck charm. Hey, man, I'll get the beer. I'll come over. Let me know when the games are. It was fun. Sweet. Heck yeah. Guys. Um, <laughs> I we... believe it's pronounced match, by the way. That's true. I'm a newbie. I, am a newbie. <laughs> no, I wouldn't know the difference. I'm not a newbie to professional wrestling, though, and I am super excited to dive into this, guys. If you are joining us on the live stream, we're going out live right now on YouTube. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. Let us know your thoughts on the topics as we go. We'll get them involved in the show. We'll bring the comments up on air. Just let us know what your thoughts are on the topics. And then, of course, if you're listening on the podcast feeds, this show is going to drop to wherever podcasts are found. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TopRopeNation.com, Podbean. If you're listening on one of those platforms, please be so kind as to hit subscribe. Leave us a five-star rating. And if you're here on YouTube tonight, please hit subscribe to the channel. Check it out. We've been really, really active on our YouTube channel of late. Check out the archive there. We've had a couple of new videos over the last a couple of days. In fact, this afternoon, I went live briefly to talk about the AEW ratings news which we're going to just start right off talking about blood and guts a little bit kyle last night we did a post show live over on the locker room app talking aew blood and guts if you guys want to hear that show we go live every single wednesday night on the locker room app it's only available on apple right now but you can join us live get involved in the show we take callers it's a lot of fun if you want to listen to it in podcast format we are posting those on our Patreon page. The link is here in the description of the video or podcast. Check out patreon.com slash Nation. Five bucks a month gets you a bonus show each and every week. That is those locker room shows, as well as the monthly Top Rope Nation classics. So basically a dollar a show, uh, plus other benefits. It's the best way to support 
Top Rope Nation. And, uh, you know, Justin, you weren't able to join us last night in a locker room, but we did want to get your thoughts on the main event. And then we'll talk about the ratings a little bit. Um, what did you think of that finish? Because Kyle and I, we liked the match, but we weren't super high on, on the way that they ended it. What did you think? Um, well, first off, I, I listened to your guys' locker room show and it was excellent. I thought you guys really, really nailed the analysis of uh, not just that match, but the entire show. And uh, just about agreed with everything you guys said. Uh, the blood and guts, I liked it a lot. It really started losing me almost a second Jericho got in there um to me at that point starting with the uh you know where they had to have that moment where the, the teams <laughs> faced off yeah. it, it turned into a, a an nxt war games match with color um the bump i you know i get why you want to keep jericho safe um but y- you got to do something different with the way it's filmed if you're not going to make it look uh, better, especially as I think most importantly, as Kyle pointed out, you got to make it look better. If on the same show, you're going to have one of the craziest bumps I've ever seen a professional wrestler take with Darby Allen going down those stairs. Yeah. As Kyle said, I think Darby Allen nearly killed himself earlier in the show with that. That was nuts. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of what I said. Kyle, go ahead. Yeah. I wanted to kind of narrow down what we said last night, Ryan, regarding the finish, because you said something on Facebook um, that got my wheels spinning. Justin mentioned it just briefly a moment ago. And I think the issue with the finish was maybe not the finish itself, but how it was shot Mm -hmm. for TV in the sense that, you know, somebody on Twitter who was there live showed their video of Jericho falling off the cage and how it looked from their seat and it looked cool mm-hmm. and it didn't look as, you know, hokey where you could tell he landed on cardboard and a really padded mattress. Again, we said it like 72 times last night, folks. We're not, we don't have a death wish for anybody. We said we don't want people taking flat back bumps on concrete or anything unsafe. So I think, you know, when you go back and look at it, man, if they would have just shot it with a different angle, I think it would have been more dramatic and gotten the effect they were looking for. That might've been the issue uh, rather than the finish itself. Yeah. Very frustrating because, you know, it was such a good match. I thought up until then, now I would have shaved about 10 minutes off the match. I thought that in the, the match beyond section, when you get into the five on five, that went on a little long, I think what, almost 20 minutes, something like that. Kyle, you said on the show last night in the locker room, that should be a sprint. Right, it should be a sprint to the finish at that point, and traditionally, that's kind of how the best ones have been over the years. Mm-hmm. But I did think it was it was an excellent match up until that point. But yeah, I mean, you would have hoped that they would have learned their lesson with how they shot the finish of Revolution in the barbed wire death match, and how that didn't go off right. We talked about on the post show that night that maybe from a different angle it would have looked better. And here, like, I just don't understand how they thought that putting the camera right next to where Jericho would land would be good because it was so obvious it was a crash pad. Yeah, you you film that thing out from the side. You even film it from like the top of the amphitheater or something. It would probably look excellent. So that it, was that was an issue I had. It might have been the worst place to shoot it from where they actually did. <laughs> Seriously. They, they, yeah, they may not literally. be able to pick the worst camera angle. Um, the other thing that we should talk about, and this is a more positive slant that I wanted to add uh, I did not mention this last night on Locker Room. You know, I always talk about how matches can 
believe it or not, get better or sometimes get worse as time rolls on, depending how the story evolves that stems from them. Um, you know, you look at MJF and him standing on the cage, the crimson mask, victorious. If this match serves as kind of a launching pad for him, and he's already, you know, one of their biggest stars, but if he become, if he goes from here to here in the next four months, we're going to look back at this, I think, you know, a lot more romantically maybe than we do now. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we're, we're going to be seeing that image of him on top of the cage with the crimson mask that, you know, that they're going to put that on the beginning of the show. We're going to be seeing that picture for a long, long time. And, you know, frankly, my two biggest takeaways from the show was one, you made MJF an even bigger star than he already was. And two, I thought they did a amazing job of, of getting all the eyeballs that were on blood and guts to want to watch next week for building up to next week's show. I, I thought they that was amazing. Dude, the card next week might be a better show than this week yeah. was. <laughs> Probably will be, to be honest. They got, what, four great matches they've announced for next week. You've got the TNT title match. You've got the tag team title match, right? You've got the number one contender match. What am I forgetting? Like four matches. So, I mean, it's it's gonna. I'm I'm looking forward to it. Who, who would have thought? You know, announcing matches ahead of time would get you excited to tune in seven days later. The the IWGP US title match. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. My God, what a card that is. <laughs> the one they've been advertising the longest. Yeah. So, I mean. It shows what long-term uh, planning does. We forget it. <laughs> Joke's on us. Yeah. So, I mean, hey, overall, though, it was a great show. If you want to hear us break it all down, talk about everything, take some calls and stuff. Like I said, we did that locker room show last night that's a live app but we're able to save them we're putting them out as bonus podcasts each and every week check out patreon uh but you know a huge audience saw the show last night not their biggest audience ever in terms of raw viewers uh, but they definitely rebounded from last week where president of the united states took away some of their viewers and frankly it was a huge news day today for aw this is when i went live on the youtube channel talking about earlier today for the first time since w- WCW closed, and I guess this would have been probably the first time since, what, 98? A non-WWE wrestling company ranked number one on cable for the night. And we, this is something we've been speculating about here on Top Rope Nation for weeks, that this blood and gut show, especially with the challenge ending over on MTV, this could be the show to do it. And they did it. Number one on cable last night in the 18-49 to 49 demo. That's the more, most important rank, better than, uh, you know, overall viewers. There were shows that were watched by more people, but not in the 18 to 49 demo. So number one on cable for AEW, just a huge, huge night for them. Rebounded from the week before. Um, I mean, your takes, guys, I was pretty pumped about it. Had to talk about it on the YouTube channel this afternoon. Couldn't even wait for uh, for the stream tonight. Yeah, I think one of the interesting things about it is a couple weeks ago you started to see online this narrative develop as eh, AEW pushing the envelope too much does you know blood and guts for lack of a better term have a turnoff factor to it and i think last night's rating would say no now i think there was what one demo females 12 to 34 that was a little bit down but they were up anything everything else and we joked last night on the show ryan that it's not bumps that you know, scares the wives. It's the blood. Like I talked about when, you know, my wife looked up at the TV and goes, Oh my God, he's bleeding so much. Um, <laughs> she doesn't sound like that by the way at all. But uh, still, I, I think, you know, 
When Eric Bischoff, and you know, I hate to give him any credit, but when he started Nitro, he talked about wanting to go in a very different direction than the current WWF product at that time in 1995. And I think it would behoove AEW to do the same. I think there is an audience. You can't do it every week, obviously, these matches. But, um, you know, I think there's an audience for, you know, a, a big-time violent match like this. And it was well-pushed. It had stars. Um, so, yeah, I liked it. It kind of destroyed that narrative. Yeah. Hey. Violence wins. Red <laughs> equals green, buddy. Red <laughs> equals green. <laughs> yeah, so AEW did a point four two eight uh, 18 to 49 rating. But the big thing that really stuck out to me was that 18 to 49 males rating, 0.58, is more than double the next closest show on cable last night, I think. Pardon the interruption, maybe it was like the next closest. Don't tell me that show's still drawing a paycheck. <laughs> Mike Wilbon? I, th- I think that's what it was. <laughs> it could be wrong. I'm going off of memory here. But yeah, more than double any other show on cable among men 18 to 49 last night. And so with the challenge not producing first run content for a while now, I mean, AEW, they're going to be in the running for first place every week for the next few weeks, I would think. Yeah. And that male 18 to 49 number was in the ballpark of raw correct me if i'm wrong Mm -hmm. so i mean that's interesting and it goes back to what we've said for weeks and months on this program why nxt was put on wednesday not to win the war but to you know keep aew's overall viewership demo viewership away from wwe's two flagship programs so hopefully those numbers continue to grow i mean one big rating is nice you know when the night on cable once is nice but like you just said ryan you'd like to see a pattern of doing that hopefully people like what they saw last night and come back you know the overall viewership i know you know whatever we're told now that that isn't that big of a deal but you know obviously (laughs) you're not going to complain if more people watch show yeah 1.09 million was the overall viewership yeah you know, that, that's what's going to make next week's rating so interesting when that comes in with coming off of Blood and Guts and how nicely they built ne- next week's card is how many people follow. Yeah. I, I am so intrigued in that Darby Miro match. I know we talked a little bit about it last night, Ryan, but, mm-hmm. you know, again, championship matches work when you think there might be a title change. I mean... I think he should win. I think Miro should win in like a squash, to be honest with you. Wow. I should. I, I think it should be dominant. I mean, he's going to be wrestling hurt. So I think he put over Miro. You got the out with Darby. Darby's a star, by the way. I mean, he's a ratings draw. That's been proven. Yeah, which is why I wonder if you want to take the title off of him. I, I yeah. think there could be something screwy with Kip Sabian. I, I think, yeah. do not be surprised if there is a divisive finish in that match as well. Let I wouldn't rephrase this. I, I think... If they want Miro to win, it should be very dominant. And they should just really, you know, heavily play into the injury from the The, falling down the steps that Darby had. The only thing I would say against that is uh, that would basically kind of be the exact same thing they did with Brody and Cody Rhodes. That's exactly Brody squashed him. That's that's exactly my thought is it should be a repeat of that. That's what I was. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, Justin, by the way, I made that Sting Rick Rude match reference just for you last night. Yes. I'm locker room. <laughs> Appreciate it. The, the Clash 17. Yes. <laughs> Guys, let's shift gears. Let's talk about something else that who knows in a few months or sooner could be AEW related. And that has to do with Daniel Bryan. Ooh. Uh, so another big story this week the general belief 
was that Daniel Bryan's WWE contract went through September. Then Bryan gave an interview within the last couple of weeks where they asked him about his contract and he was being kind of sly about it. And he said, you know, I know this September uh, date is going around and he said, that's not accurate. So then Sean Ross Sapp had the report a couple of nights ago over on Fightful Select that in fact, Bryan's contract expired after his match with Roman Reigns on SmackDown. So Daniel Bryan, apparently now the Fightful report said they didn't know, perhaps Bryan had even re-signed by now, but Dave Meltzer said, WWE is making a hard play to sign him, which leads me to believe he hasn't been re-signed by WWE right now. So, you know, the question is, what's happening with Daniel Bryan? Where do you guys want to see Daniel Bryan end up? What do you think he's going to do? Um, Let me throw it to Justin first on this one. Where would you like to see him take his talents? And then, you know, what do you think is going to happen? I I want to see him in AEW. I I think that'd be the funnest thing for all involved if... I, I think I saw something and I wish I could give them credit. Somebody on Twitter was mentioning like if you have Omega and Cassidy, you know, that match finishes and all of a sudden you hear final countdown oh. kick in and have Daniel Bryan walk out. Oh. Fucking amazing would that oh, be? Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. But yeah, just to add more star power and and I think uh Daniel Bryan brings a lot more eyeballs to AEW being such a big star with uh WWE, but I, I get the feeling with some of the things he's saying that he'll be able to get what he wants from WWE and they'll probably be able to pay him big money. Um, when the thought was that, you know, the contract was expiring in September, I kind of wanted to see him NXT mm-hmm. until I was hoping he'd leave. So uh, I hope he ends up in AEW. I think he stays with WWE uh, on a very limited, uh, almost Brock Lesnar type of contract. Do you think he'll be able, because he's got so much leverage right now in this situation, and he's talked about how he would like to get the freedom from WWE to take outside bookings? Yeah. I think the I, odds are that he'll be able to do that and maybe even work New Japan or something while under WWE contract. Easily. Like you said, he's got all the leverage. They they can't, I mean, it's one thing to, you know, no offense to, you know, guys like Miro, but Daniel Bryan's on a different level. I don't think they can afford I mean, they can, of course, afford to. I mean, this is a billion-dollar company. But uh, I don't think in their minds maybe they can't afford to let a a big star like him get away. Yeah. And what's interesting, too, is, like, I could see them agreeing to let him work overseas companies like that. Like, that doesn't hurt WWE at all if he works New Japan. In fact, it probably helps them. Or even AAA if he wants to go down there and work Andrade. Now, obviously, they're not going to let him, most likely not going to let him work AEW. Uh, but, uh, the other ones, I mean, I could see him using his leverage to get that. What do you think, Kyle? Okay. Uh, what's going to happen? Obviously only he knows, um, look, every wrestling company in the world would want someone like Daniel Bryan. You know, I mean, he, this is a guy who's got an argument as the best wrestler of the 21st century. Uh, it's going to boil down to can an outside, a non WWE company, offer him enough to forsake the money that WWE is going to offer him because WWE can obviously offer the most. And it's a question of how much are they willing to, you know, outbid the competition. So that's a decision he makes. And I don't be, you know, it's his decision. It's his life. He's allowed to make it, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, selfishly. What do I want to see him do? Uh, It's very simple. I want to see him leave the WWE. Mm-hmm. He, he, AEW would be great because it's easy to watch, but I just want to see him leave the WWE. 
period. Why do I say that? Uh, am I being mean-spirited toward the WWE? No. The reason I want to see him leave WWE is because I want to care about Daniel Bryan again. Daniel Bryan, for so long, was my favorite wrestler. I mean, I don't think I've been as excited about anything in the last three-plus years now as I was when he returned, right Mm -hmm. before the WrestleMania in New Orleans. And look at where we are now. Less than a week ago, on national television, he wrestled their biggest star, Roman Reigns, with his career on the line. And I can't say that I cared that much. I mean, what does that say about where he's at right now at WWE and just WWE in general? I mean, now we didn't know the contract situation going in. I don't know if I would have cared more had I known it. But, you know, even then people are like, oh, you know, maybe he'll just go to NXT or like what better thing could come about of this? And that just speaks to like stipulations in the modern WWE, right? That no one buys them, no one cares. Um and I just don't think he's been booked all that well the last three years. And listen to his own words. Remember what he said about WrestleMania that yep. just happened? He was standing in the ring and he really felt no excitement. Please leave. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I just, I don't know what else to say. Just please leave. I I just want to yell. That's the American fucking dragon, man. That's all <laughs> I want to do. And, you know, I, I would just love it. You talk about the final countdown play and him showing up. You want a fantasy book. How great would it be? I thought of this in my head and I was very pleased with it. If Kenny Omega is in the ring and he's like, last time I saw you, you tapped to Roman Reigns. You don't deserve a title shot. And Brian goes, I didn't tap. I lost him on purpose to come to all elite wrestling. <laughs> How much does that pop the crowd right there? <laughs> yeah. It popped me. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I get what you're saying. Ever since the comeback, he had the good heel run, but basically since he dropped the title to Kofi, it's been nothing to write home about yeah. so for the last what two years two two plus years certainly they you know some of that's his own doing he wanted to put over younger talent and stuff but drew gulak's not really doing any better than he was previously which isn't his fault but what yeah. is there to do again i would like to reiterate something that i just said moments ago he just wrestled on national television their biggest star the roman reigns and i wasn't that into it yeah it was a good match i didn't think it was a great match i thought it was good but for the usual WWE reasons, I just had very little to no emotional investment in the situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, we'll, we'll see. I think it, if you look at his own comments, you would think he will leave. Now, if he can get the, I think he wants, he's been talking about this for like over a year that all these guys he wants to work. He just, yeah. got Kenny Omega like a week ago. I mean, yeah, I'd like to see him in NXT, but at the same time, isn't that just like an indictment of how WWE has, <laughs> Ben creatively that we're planning yes. for him to go to NXT. I mean, yes. we should, that should not be the situation. So uh, Daniel Bryan, what ver- Greg threw out in the chat. Yes. Brian versus Walter would be sick. I'd love that to would that. be, yes. He would let him chop him all the hell. My God, his chest would be like bleeding, but <laughs> Daniel Bryan versus Kenny Omega would definitely force me to tweet shaking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Here's what I'd like to see. So, He's talked about he's not going to wrestle full time ever again. He's Mm -hmm. talked about how he could barely play with his kids the other week because his neck was hurting so much. He said his neck was just completely jacked right now. So I'd like to see him take some time off. And then I'd like to see him take some individual bookings starting out in Japan or Mexico. I'd like to see him go over there and do that stuff first. I I don't want to see him in AEW until 
this is one I'm going to hold out on because we've seen all these debuts in this pandemic era. And we always said, God, how much, how cool would that be with a full crowd? Mm-hmm. I want to see Daniel Bryan come to AEW like early fall when hopefully we've got some really good sized crowds consistently because they are going to have a full crowd at double or nothing, by, oh, the, by way. the way. But like, I want that weekly television on tour with fairly large crowds when Daniel Bryan comes. I don't want to miss that moment with a limited crowd. So I, I think take some time off. You know, there's no rush. Heal, work some of those New Japan shows maybe in the summer. I mean, work Dominion maybe. You know, that's a big show in the summertime. Work Andrade down in AAA and eventually, you know, build up the hype. Eventually get to AEW by fall. Resigning with WWE, I mean, wh- that would be such a tease after he's consciously made, you know, all these dream matches. He has talked about wanting to work and yeah. putting over Kenny Omega and stuff like, all right, man, let's do it now. This is your chance. I want to see it. Maybe he's finally going to get to live his WWE dream and wrestle Grand Metal League on main event every week. Like he yeah. always talks about, he's like <laughs> been talking for three years. I just want to wrestle that Grand Metal League. How does he not be, how is he unable to make that happen? <laughs> yeah, you should. I mean, he was in the yeah. creative meetings, right? Yeah, I, I still put above 50% that he resigns. I'll believe him leaving when I see it. And boy, will I be excited when I do. Yeah, I mean, it does seem like in the end, he, it seems like he's kind of become a company guy, but we should. I mean, his wife, I mean, that's a big thing, you know? Yeah. So, uh, Camille in the chat, Brian would dominate Omega in the ring. <laughs> It'd be a hell of a match. Now, they've worked before, by the way. They, it wouldn't be the first time that they've worked. They have worked before, but not at this you know portion of the careers where they've both achieved superstardom. So, we'll see. I mean, that's all in the future. we got a lot to look forward to here in the months ahead. Not only crowds coming back, hopefully, consistently, but uh, some of these names that are out there. So let's let's switch gears now. Uh oh. Let's, let's get into some of these documentaries. We're Wait. gonna talk. Yeah. Oh, hold on before you before you start, I'm gonna I need to drop some ecstasy real quick. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> oh no. All right, go ahead. <sighs> You've been hanging out at the dollhouse. <laughs> the way the great ones do it. Hey. <laughs> you know, I, I, I don't mean I, I don't mean to rub it in the face of one of the great educators in the United States of America, Mr. Drosty, but in college, buddy, did a lot of speeches high. <laughs> a lot of speeches high and i got a's on him buddy i got a's on him <laughs> time for the teachers union maybe to wake up a little bit and smell the roses or the weed oh my god <laughs> this is a no-win situation for me i have no comment no okay. comment at all <laughs> guys i do have comments on this documentary as you dares dares gonna be in ryan's lesson plan tomorrow and the kids are gonna have no freaking idea why <laughs> Uh, you're going to be in my lesson plan. I'm going to have you coming in talking about how to turn your life around the Kyle Ross story. (laughs) Oh man. Now that is a documentary. (laughs) Oh, Greg, Greg's in the chat. All right. It was the OUA buddy. You know it. (laughs) All right. So let's talk about this. We had two documentaries debut this week. And Oh, and also by the way, as we're recording right now, Part two of the Brian Pillman Dark Side of the Ring is airing. Can't wait to get off the line tonight to watch that. Really? Um, I also want to <laughs> I want to pump the fact that we've got a uh, we got a big show coming next week, guys, because our good friend Liam O'Rourke, who literally wrote the book on Brian Pillman, Crazy Like a Fox, the Brian Pillman story. Is coming on. We're going to be recording that with him on Monday afternoon. So next week the show is going to drop 
way earlier than Thursday night, Friday morning. I'm not going to sit on that interview for five days. So after Kyle and I talk to Liam, I'll mix it. I'll get it out as soon as possible because we want to get Liam's thoughts, not only on uh, Dark Side of the Ring and how it ended up, ended up because he is an authority on the life of Brian Pillman, but also because he worked with the production team on on the documentary itself, Dark Side of the Ring. And I want to see what he thinks of the finished product. So uh, we'll be getting Liam's thoughts. That's going to be a must-listen-to podcast. Yeah. Can't wait you know, for that. You know how I like to rank things, Ryan, obviously. And when you talk about English authors, the name Liam O'Rourke is right there between Shakespeare and Dickens. Hey, I, who am I to argue? <laughs> Love that book. If you're watching on YouTube, I got the book behind me right now, right there on my desk. Oh, how convenient. Yes. Had to, had to pump Liam's book there. But no, it's going to be a great talk. Make sure you tune in next week. Subscribe. All that good stuff. But so this started out Sunday night. We saw the Randy Savage <laughs> AEW or AEW. Blah, the Randy Savage A&E biography. Easy for you to say. And this was the third in the series with WWE. We, you know, we saw the Stone Cold Steve Austin one. Oh, we saw the the Roddy Piper one, and we were very positive on those. We didn't, we you know, we acknowledged they didn't really do any hard hitting issues. The Piper one a little bit more because they did talk about his drug use. You know, I guess the extent on the uh, Austin one was talking about his drinking. They could have gone darker on his for sure. Now this Randy Savage one, they didn't hold back. <laughs> you know, like the first hour was kind of pumping you up about his career. Although, as we'll talk about, I took some issue with how they did that, but they Ooh. got some of the big highlights. And, you know, they spent a lot of time talking about the steamboat match, of course. And then you get to the second hour and boy, did that thing flip. I saw so many people commenting. It was like two different production teams made this because when they get to the second hour, then they start talking about all the negative stuff. Right. Of course, his treatment of Miss Elizabeth over the years, well-known stuff. Every, you know, that's widely known, but, you know, emphasizing again. He wasn't a great husband. He wasn't a great boyfriend. He didn't treat Miss Elizabeth well at all. That's that's very well known. Randy Savage is one of my favorite wrestlers of all time. He's on my Mount Rushmore. Love watching that guy. But I know behind the scenes, he wasn't a great guy. And they certainly let the viewers know that. And then they got into the Stephanie Beller stuff, who uh, later in life, you know, was his girlfriend in the WCW, the later years of WCW, Gorgeous George. They went into some of her stories. She's gone way beyond that and some other interviews she's given over the years. Yeah. Um, but they, they went into that. And so, guys, you know, I was tweeting about it. We've been talking about it in our Facebook group. I want to get your takes on, on all of this. Uh, Kyle, I know you you were jazzed up to talk about this. You got some notes on this. I mean, give me your take. What did you think? Okay. Um, there were a few issues that I had with it. But first, I want to throw something around the horn. I wonder how we would have felt about this documentary had it aired first or second out of the first three. Like, I think because, like you said, with the Austin and the Piper ones, they barely went negative at all. It just came across so jarring to see this one, them go after him so hard. And is that why there was kind of the reaction online about it? Just because, hey, we're coming off these two puff pieces and it's like, well, why is Randy Savage getting this treatment? Obviously, people are going to run wild with that. No pun intended, Hulk Hogan. Um, but, you know, what you look for, and there's for filmmakers. There's no doubt about that. We're, we're at different filmmakers, but, you know, we talked about 
with the Austin one, um, you know, they didn't bring up domestic violence at all. And we were all like, well, you know, would he agree to do it if they did? And in this case, it's a little more convenient to bring it up because the subject matter is deceased. So it'll be interesting moving forward. If Randy Savage is the only one they go negative on like this, that's, I don't know what that says. If he's the only one they go negative. All you ask for, I think is consistency um, on these things. I mean, I I think they should have gone negative. Negative on everybody. It's part of the story. You can't just whitewash that stuff. Um, you know, this is pro wrestling. I've said it before. Everybody kind of has skeletons in their closet in this business. There aren't many patron saints. So, you know, I I, I don't know how I felt about it. I mean, I, I thought the stuff for the most part, with the exception of Hogan Bubba the Love Sponge, was <laughs> fair game. To talk about. Uh, Meltzer said, you know, with Stephanie Bellers, you mentioned she's gone further in other interviews. Um, Stephanie Bellers, a.k.a. Gorge George, that, you know, she could have said a lot more is what Meltzer said on that documentary. He kind of intimated, well, you know, I mean, if you thought she was, you know, going after him, (laughs) she was sitting on some stuff. So, you know, um, I'll trust Meltzer in that regard. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that, Justin? Do you think, why do you think the negative blowback came because of the other two or do you think it was something different? There, there's definitely that, the aspect of compared to the other two, it, it felt like more of a hit job, uh, especially when you take into account some of the other things I think we're going to talk about when it comes to this doc. Um, you know, per what Kyle said, uh, when they cover another dead wrestler, it's going to be interesting if they drag all of his skeletons out too. When I'm talking about the Ultimate Warrior, especially when mm-hmm. I don't That's does his wife still work that. with the company? Yes. 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 Yep. Okay. So I mean, he's got plenty of really bad shit in his closet too. Uh, maybe not quite to the extent of uh, Randy Savage, but it's there. Um, but even besides from that, I still thought it was a pretty pretty flawed documentary. Right from the get-go with the uh, introduction of the talking heads with toy figures, uh, I thought the music, I thought the editing, and uh, was all kind of cheesy. It's like it was all put in there. It's like, okay, am I not supposed to take this all that seriously? And then you get to the stuff where Lawler's talking about Randy Savage leaving, and, and that's so bad. Because, I mean, you can look that up to see how wrong that is. I mean, you can say, is he confusing it with Lex Luger? Somebody in that editing bay who put this together has to know that that could have been the case. And you even have Vince jumping in during his talking head saying, yep, we were all pretty shocked by that. So just that alone tells me, for one, him making that jump is not all really all that important in the scheme of things. But that tells me. Well, if I can't trust him on this, what else can I trust them on? Because it doesn't seem to me like they're taking this all that seriously. So why should I? Mm-hmm. That was definitely, I think, the most egregious factual error yes. in the first three docs. Now, we did talk about with the Piper one. Uh, were we talking about a locker room or this? I can't remember. We talk about so much <laughs> wrestling. I don't know where we talk about. I know I said it at one point that, you know, they were treating Piper as if he was a heel his entire career. Yeah. When when he, he that that wasn't the case through the territories, but um, that was just a case of presentation. I mean, yeah, the story they told about Savage's departure from WWF to WCW was just yeah, it was completely incorrect, and it's not on Lawler. I mean, people have lousy memories, mm-hmm. uh, 
it's on the filmmakers. I mean, you've got to check that. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, somebody's got to say, hey, no, that's not accurate. And for the record, the Vince McMahon speech, and I'm sure people have seen this at at this point, somebody point this out, but the speech Vince McMahon gave on Raw occurred a month before Savage debuted. They completely were aware of what Randy Savage was doing. It was not a surprise. Vince McMahon thought he was done and didn't want him wrestling anymore. Uh, And... You know, he just let him go. Like, I mean, I'm sure he was heard about it. I'm sure he didn't want him to go to mm-hmm. WCW, but WCW gave him a lot of money and said, okay, and you can wrestle. And Randy's like, okay, I'm out. And the speech that Vince gave on Raw that night by Vince McMahon standards was Very quite nice. nice. Yeah. 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 I mean, it wasn't like a hard speech. And, you know, that's what's always kind of confused people with the savage WWE relationship since is, you know, Vince didn't seem bitter at all. I mean, obviously, the way the Monday Night Wars turned out, but, you know, he took everybody else back and he didn't take Savage back. Mm-hmm. You know, what is there there? So um, I don't know. So, yeah, that was just incorrect. Um, and Lawler saying, oh, yeah, hey, you know, Vince went up to him. Hey, kid, you know, you want to do commentary? That makes no sense whatsoever yeah. um, because, uh, you know, uh, as a matter of fact, you know, even confusing it with Luger makes no sense. Because Vince wouldn't have said that to Lawler in regards to Luger because Raw wasn't on that night. Yeah. <laughs> the mm-hmm. night Luger jumped. So, yeah, I, I don't know. Jerry's just like maybe invented some things in his head or is misremembering. But a, a filmmaker's got to catch that. They can't let that air. You know, in, in going back to the, the talking heads, everyone seemed to have a purpose on the previous two with Stone Cold and and Rowdy. Like, it, it, it made sense for all of them to be there. This one was just filled with people. It's like, why are you here? Why are you talking about Randy Savage? You know, you already mentioned Bubba the Love Sponge. Like, I mean, I guess have him on, but not for the entire freaking show. And, and more to the point that this was a hit job. And there's something to me kind of nefarious behind the scenes with the purpose of this is that Lanny and Randy's mom were talking heads, but only at the beginning. And I, I'm wondering if they knew where this thing was going, if they would have wanted any part of it. Mm-hmm. That was one of my biggest issues was the talking heads on this. Yes. Like we were texting about, I mean, all these people, bubble, love sponge, that comedian guy, I don't even know his name. Uh, he, he was just a fan that does a Randy impersonation. Like why would he be on this? You know, he's probably not as qualified to talk about Randy Savage as any of us, to be honest with you, probably less <laughs> would imagine. Uh, and he's on the document. I don't know why he's on the documentary. He made that joke about Randy's death, which I thought awful, was poor, poor taste. That shouldn't have made air either. Uh, they, the big thing was they had all of these people on there that they pretended like they were close to him who weren't actually close to him. <sighs> right. I mean, they, ha- of course they had his brother on there, but like, Hogan and him, we know they didn't get along. Uh, Bubba the Love Sponge, he was making fun of Randy Savage by his own admission on his radio show every morning. Why is he on here? You know, so it was like it was like they were trolling you almost because if you followed the guy's career, you know these people weren't his good friends. You know, so I'm sure there's people who say more positive things about him too that weren't on there. My, I think you do have to go into the negative. Um, yes, I I think that. They did a pretty good job telling the Elizabeth story. That's not new. It was on Dark Side of the Ring. I thought they covered that pretty well. In fact, I thought Luger was pretty good on here, talking about his responsibility and whether or not he was responsible for her death. I thought that that was good. I'm not opposed to Stephanie Bellers telling her story. You know, the relationship was much shorter 
but I think she has a place on telling her story. I want to be careful how I approach this, but I have seen, you know, like I mentioned what she's talked about in other interviews. I've heard her give multiple interviews over the years. And there's there's been some credibility issues with some of her stories. Um, she made it seem on here like her and Randy broke up because of the camera incident she talked about, which, hey, it's probably more likely than not that it did happen, mm-hmm. uh, but it may not have happened. I don't know. I don't have any proof of that. It's just it's her word versus someone who's not around anymore. But we know how he treated Elizabeth. Uh, the you know, the the good side of you wants to believe that maybe he learned from that or something, but we don't know. But, you know, I've heard other people say that they broke up because she met that guitarist from the Misfits at Nitro and she left Randy for him and they ended up getting married and now they've been divorced. I don't know if that plays into how she tells that story or not, but that is that's out there. So I do think that she should tell the story, but I do think you have to take everything with a grain of salt when you don't have someone to defend themselves. You know, I want to go back to something you said at the very beginning, Ryan, there uh, about, you know, people, uh, a friendly voice for, to give Savage's perspective. I don't know if there was, I mean, Lanny was, I guess, the guy to do it, right? And there wasn't many else because, you know, I was listening to Meltzer talk about this documentary when Randy got out of the wrestling business, he left. I mean, he was, I mean, you know, there's the story. I'm sure you guys know it. Like at Brian Adams funeral, Bret Hart ran into him and didn't know it was Savage. Yeah. Cause he had the gray beard and you wasn't know, doing the voice really anymore. Yeah. He, yeah. Well, yeah. So um, I just don't know if there was that person. Like, I don't know who it would have been. You know, I, I don't know who the, um, to talk about the Pillman doc that's airing right now, who the, you know, Kim Wood in Randy for Randy Savage is. I mean, I guess like Nash was pretty, you know, like he was a yeah. fun guy to go out with and stuff. So maybe he said some stuff that didn't. Yeah. Make, uh, I think Brett probably would say some nice things about him. Yeah, but, but, but I, I don't, I mean, you, you don't hear these people's like these like great friends of Savage. I mean, he was kind of an a, a aloof guy with, he, he did yeah. have, you know, kind of a crazy personality to him Um, with Hogan. And the real life feud that the two had, you would like to hear some balance there and not just get that from Hogan's perspective. I Mm -hmm. think that was kind of a weakness in the second hour. And, you know, as far as what didn't need to make tape, I referenced it earlier, that whole bit with like how him, first of all, Hogan and Bubba the Love Sponge on the same documentary. (laughs) <laughs> Seriously, like, I, I mean, th- does Hogan have no shame? I mean, wow. I, you know, I know we're not supposed to make fun of people's looks anymore. It's 2021, but I mean, Bubba the Love Sponge. You know, I don't know anything <laughs> about Star Wars, but this guy looks like fucking Jabba the Hutt squeezed in an NYPD hat. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> okay, I mean, this guy stinks. I, he, he, you know, the comedian Rosenberg and him. That was like those are the worst. Yeah, yeah, like. You could have had one of those guys. You didn't need all three. I don't think Bubba Love Sponge added anything. It was just, it felt like the producers felt the Tampa Radio Wars were like yeah. a bigger deal than they were. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you want to mention the, you know, uh, Hogan has to be on the dock. There's no mm-hmm. doubt about it. I mean, Hogan is very much tied uh, to Randy Savage in a professional sense. Um, but you know, I, I just didn't think, you know, Bubba the Love Sponge, yeah, we made fun of him on the radio. I mean, what does that accomplish? Yeah. I mean, that's your claim to fame. You made fun of the guy on the radio and you get a spot. 
And again, yeah. you look like Jabba the Hutt. I mean, you're wearing an <laughs> NYPD hat. I mean, get out of here, yeah. Bob, with a love sponge. You know, now that yeah, you'd right. you'd mentioned his name just a couple minutes ago, all I really want is someone to re-edit this documentary with just randomly insert Kim Wood calling Vince McMahon a whore. <laughs> over and over and over. Yeah, I mean, you know, um, you know, as far as the Bellers, you, you're right. We you, you talked about this thing she said. I mean, obviously. They partied. There's, I mean, Nash was backing up. There's, and there's nothing wrong with partying. For the record, I think taking ecstasy and cutting a promo on Monday Nitro is pretty cool. Okay, where I come from, that's cool. All right, I, I don't care what 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 you know people say to that. I, that is cool. I would like to take ecstasy and cut a promo on WCW Monday Nitro. As a matter of fact, I actually did. Vince Russo let me in the uh, later years. But um, oh, you know, I you know I know Justin and I know Ryan. You two were bothered by the action figure thing. I love action figures. Look behind me. But still, like, what the heck, man? Like, what does this have to do with anything? It's just so bizarre. It it didn't really necessarily bother me. I think what we're all talking about, though, and and I'll sum it up like this, because we've talked about this with other documentaries in the past. A documentary of this kind is generally only going to be as strong as the talking heads, right? I loved Pillman Part 1 because, you know, Kim Wood, among others, was great on that. This just... None of the talking heads I thought were particularly strong mm-hmm. uh, on this documentary, and and that hurt it. Um, as far as things I liked, um, the Savage Steamboat stuff, obviously, I that's a match that means a lot to my fandom. It was like my first favorite match. You know, I started watching WWF like two weeks before the throat injury angle, yeah. and so I couldn't wait for that match to unfold. I want to throw this to you guys, get your pressure. So they obviously talked a lot about the planned out nature of the match and how, I mean, it's insane. The length Savage went to it, that they had the notebook and the 160 spots mm-hmm. written out. And he would freaking call Steamboat in the middle of the night. He's like, Hey, what's match? What's spot 47 and mm-hmm. make him run there. I mean, that is insane. Yeah. That said, I want to defend that match. I shouldn't have to defend that match, but I'm, <laughs> I will a little bit. Well, bold angle. Yeah. In the sense that, you know, yeah, it's ridiculously planned out, but they also had less than 15 minutes on the biggest show of their lives. I don't think that match, despite what you hear about that notepad, feels as choreographed as 90% of wrestling in 2021. No, no, yeah, 100%. Because, yeah. I mean, so many of the spots that you see today require, you know, opponent cooperation. It's like, yeah, if you're armed with that insider quote unquote, insider knowledge, for lack of a better term, um, you know, that they had this notepad and everything was planned out. Okay, yeah, you're saying, oh, I, I don't know if that's the way that wrestling should be. But if you watch the match and didn't know that, it would not, it didn't have a fake feel to it at all. No. So I just want to say that about the match. I, I think that needs to be said because too many people are like, oh, that's not the way you do wrestling and stuff. And I don't know, man, to me, if it's going to be the, Biggest crowd you ever work in front of, and you're given less than 15 minutes. You got to get it down, man. Well, yeah. and isn't that the beauty of you know this? You know, I love this sport of professional wrestling. Is that it, you can do it in so many different ways. You know, you there isn't just one way to do it. You can you can have technical matches. You can have hardcore matches. You can have matches where they literally just go back and forth, slapping each other's chest. Um, so if, if you get the two right guys who can choreograph their match from beginning to start and they pull it off, what's wrong with that? 
Yeah, I thought that was one of the strongest parts of the documentary. I enjoyed that, that they had Steamboat on there, given his take and everything. Uh, I didn't like how they didn't deep dive on on the Hogan Savage Mania 5 stuff. They showed a little bit of the footage when they were splitting on main event with Elizabeth and Elizabeth getting shoved and all that. But they could have. I would have liked to have seen him go a little bit more in that. I mean, that was the biggest match of his career, I think. So um, that that was a weakness. I would have seen would have liked to have seen him go deep dive on that a little bit. You know, I didn't penalize them too much for this. They clearly just decided that we're going to go hard with Savage Steamboat and make that the apex. And what they chose to do, and remember, these are kind of intended for the casual viewers. Mm -hmm. We've talked about this before. I do think for a casual viewer that they did successfully convey the idea that Randy Savage was as important as anyone in the WWE from that time period besides Hulk Hogan and did get kind of close to Hogan for a little bit. Mm -hmm. So you're right. You know, I think from a a casual fan perspective, you know, when you just go through every angle and stuff and you just, you know, dipping your toe in the waters of every angle that can get a little much. I do think you're right, Ryan, though, that, I mean, WrestleMania five was a really big deal. I mean, that set a pay-per-view record that stood for nine years. And, And I think they should have maybe mentioned that specifically, uh, what a big deal it was. Uh, but, you know, I, I think they conveyed what a, a big star he was. You know, there wasn't the the linear storytelling of 88 through 91, but I was kind of okay with it. Um, it, it was honestly when he went to WCW that I thought the storytelling, uh, not only outside the ring, but also when it came to inside the ring, went a little off the rails. You mean you didn't buy the fact that he was only doing the juice in WCW as they lead you to believe? <laughs> no. Now, because <laughs> we know he went off to try to have a kid with Elizabeth and he started yeah, wearing the shirt and everything. Yes. And I'm glad you brought that up. So here's what's fair and unfair. Um, it is grossly unfair to intimate that Randy Savage just started doing steroids when he went to WCW. That's ridiculous, especially when in this documentary you have Vincent Kennedy McMahon saying, you know, when he first saw Randy, oh, this guy's kind of small. <laughs> exactly. Right. Yeah. I mean, come on, man. I mean, so, you're going to leave you're going to leave that quote in there and pretend like he wasn't, you know, doing steroids. I mean, for God's sake, I mean, basically 90 to 95 percent of the 1984 to 1989 WF locker room was doing steroids. <laughs> so um, he was included. I mean, so and I want to double back to that, actually, for a second. But fair is fair here. We should point this out with the steroid issue. And when he left, what was WWF doing in late 1994 that WCW was not lots of drug testing. Yes. Lots of drug testing. WCW never did. So that probably was another reason in addition to, Hey, we'll let you wrestle. We'll give you more money and we're not going to drug test you. So that is something that should be mentioned, but it is baloney. The idea that he never did steroids in WWE or that it was a WCW issue. I mean, I think he, he wanted to leave. The biggest reason was to wrestle. He had been pitching these. He wanted to wrestle Shawn Michaels. He wanted to wrestle Bret Hart. Him and Bret worked on a Japanese tour, but they never really got to do a program on TV. He wasn't allowed to do anything that like that. He didn't th- think he was done. And frankly, he wasn't done. He no, he wasn't. WCW. Uh, you know, the guy, when he left, he was just barely past 40 years old when he left WWF. So, I mean, all these issues is, to me, why it was a very poorly done biography. It was by far the worst of the three they've aired. And it's not because of the negative stuff in it. I, I've been very consistent in our Facebook group, Garrett's Facebook group, the fight game group on Twitter, 
My biggest problem with it wasn't that he got dragged through the mud a little bit. It was that it was a poorly made documentary. <laughs> I mean, the talking heads were bad. It was cut together terribly. The way that, you know, the fact checking, uh, the way it was laid out was confusing, I thought. One other thing I want to mention, a big problem I have with this, and I heard Meltzer talking about this too, was the way that they made it seem that Elizabeth was his only love and that, mm -hmm. you know, he was just so depressed about that for the rest of his life. And that's just complete bullshit. The guy <laughs> got remarried and by all accounts was incredibly happy. It finally found peace right before his death when he married Lynn. And that's another major. And she error. should have been on that. She should have been on the documentary. Was yes. she not on the dark side of the ring one? I don't think so. I don't recall oh. for sure. I don't think okay. so, but she might've been, I don't have to check, but she doesn't do, you know, many appearances at all. She stays away from it. But like, to, I mean, they showed the wedding pictures and stuff and they mentioned her, but then to at the same time have people implying that, oh, Elizabeth was his one true love. That's complete bullshit. You don't know that. And they also got the facts wrong about him and Lynn too, because, and that's another thing that's easy to fact check. They talked about someone on there said it was his high school sweetheart. And that's obviously not true because they talked about how he grew up in the Chicago suburbs. And then they mentioned that they met on a beach in Florida. Because they met when he was playing minor league baseball, not in high school. So it was just like another factual error they got wrong. It's just a poorly made documentary. I just I thought it was very, very disappointing. But do I do I do I mention that they were confusing the ICW and the Jarrett territories too? Or is yeah, <laughs> no one cares? Like they, they were making like they, they you know they made it seem like they were showing they, they made it seem like it was ICW, but they were actually showing footage from the Jarrett territory. By the way, dude, Randy Savage's promos in Memphis are like fucking insane. I mean, this guy was just on a different level. I mean, the internet would break today over some over someone of the skill set of 1984 to 1986 Randy Savage, in my <laughs> sure. opinion. I mean, my God, was this guy oh, just uh, at an unbelievable level. With the WCW run, uh, it is not as significant as his WWF run, obviously, but two things, and they did not mention this, him and Flair in early 96, right before the NWO, turned around a non-existent WCW house show business. I mean, WCW hadn't drawn at the houses for seven years. And that Flair Savage program, when they brought Liz back into the fold and she turned on Randy, which mm -hmm. was a kind of a neat little wrinkle, if you remember, they started doing business uh, around the horn uh, at the houses a little bit before the NWO even. And then, of course, the feud with Dallas Page was great, too. They had three very good matches on pay-per-view. You know, I got to say, too, in Randy's defense, I guess a little bit, you know, they brought in Liz, and I've never heard any negative stories about him and her interacting in WCW. Have you? I mean, apparently that no. was all very professional and not that long after their marriage had ended and the whole drama with the Hogans and everything. So, I mean, they didn't mention that, but they worked together amicably in WCW just a couple of years later. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, he, he again, I mean, we're, we're not to excuse. I mean, he, he was, you know, I mean, those stories about I mean, like, yeah, lo uh, locking her in that. the locker room. And I mean, Meltzer retold the story about the TV dinners yeah, yeah, when he would yeah. go on the road and freaking Bobby Heenan would whistle that song. What was it? Something about yeah, like the hungry, hungry man. man. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bobby, <laughs> Bobby Heenan, God rest your soul. We miss you so much, Bobby. No, like um, I said at the top, there's no excusing any of that. We know that like off air, he wasn't the greatest person. Yeah. I would like to believe that as he got to his later years, though, he became a better person. And I mean, they didn't talk to many people that saw him. You know, we 
we know he did a lot of uh, charity work with children. Um, I've heard interviews with people that live near him that he did a lot of stuff for their families and was a great guy to them in those later years. So, you know, I've in an interview, Stephanie Bellers once said that Randy didn't actually like kids, that that was all for show. And he didn't he he didn't like kids. But I've always heard the opposite. You know, he tried to have a child with Elizabeth. He wanted kids. And I've heard multiple people say in Florida, you know, they was great to their children that live near him. So, I mean, who knows? But yeah, it, it was disappointing all around. I have one last thing to say, and this is actually a pretty big picture thing. So moving forward with these A&E docs, we're obviously going to be uh, looking for how negative they go on some of these people. But a big picture trend I've noted was the first three. And this is a little disturbing. Have you guys noticed this? All of the personal problems for these individuals seem to start when they leave the WWF umbrella. Mm-hmm. And that's just absolute hideous. <laughs> like Austin, yeah. he leaves WWF all of a sudden. He's a drunk and he's mean and he does these vague things that we're not going to mention. Roddy Piper, you know, becomes like some crazed outpatient that mm-hmm. like says wild things at HBO. I, I we, we didn't mention that at all. And I want to go in on that. I thought Vince McMahon's comments, I mean, what are you going to expect from him? were completely out of bounds uh, in regards to the HBO Real Sports uh, yeah. appearance pipe, right? What did Piper say that was wrong on that? And, you know, oh, they, they basically fired him. I mean, he was 100% yeah. right, everything he said. But, you know, they made him like, you know, he had escaped the mental home and was just yeah. saying crazy things. Um, and, you know, here, again, Savage. Like he oh, was lucky to be brought back. They kind of intimated yeah. that, like, when he got back, oh, he was lucky given what he said on that show. That was kind of the gist of what, yeah. how they portrayed that. Yeah. And then, you know, Randy Savage, oh, you know, leaves WWE. Oh, you know, I, I think he just went there for money and to get on the gas. So <laughs> that's something to look. I mean, at moving forward that all of a sudden, you know, these people have personal problems when they, you know, leave Stamford, Connecticut. Give me a break. You know, along that lines as to where this seems to be going with that little clue is my, my, my favorite uh, reaction to the Randy doc. And I'm not going to say who, who sent this just in case they don't want it out there, but if they want to own up to it, that's fine. My favorite reaction was I am more convinced than ever that Randy Savage slept with Stephanie McMahon. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. They certainly didn't address that. Did they? No, that's no. not going to be talked about. No, <laughs> I, I, I will say this. I'll say something. You know, he was inducted to the WWE hall of fame after he died, but I know for a fact, you know, you hear these rumors like, Oh God, you just, you never bring up the name Randy Savage to Vince. That's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I know people firsthand that have said that it is like, you know, a record scratching. Mm. This was years ago. If the name Randy Savage is messaged, uh, mentioned in front of Vince McMahon. It has to go beyond the Slim Jim thing. I've heard people say, oh, it's because of the Slim Jim deal. And Eric Bischoff was on here saying, you know, Randy's deal paid for itself because he brought the Slim Jim sponsorship, the 700 some thousand a year. And that was the same as his contract. Which was true, but as for the first Mercer year, talked about only his first yeah. year. After that, he was making like a million and a half. But there's something, there's something there. I don't know what it is. I don't know the story. People are going to speculate about that forever. But there, there was something there because he was the one guy he wouldn't bring back. They didn't induct him to the Hall of Fame until after he was gone. They did like bring him back for a video game commercial right before he died, and they showed that clip in the biography uh, when he was gray and everything. 
But I mean, yeah, he he was like the one guy that didn't get brought back. I think what's really going to tell the story here is how they treat the ultimate warrior. I mean, the next the next one's on Booker T. There's not going to be probably anything there that's going to give us any hints about the direction of this series. But when we get to that ultimate warrior one, we'll know because the way Savage was handled, if they don't talk at all about what 15 years of his life that he was touring college campuses and spewing that nonsense and getting banned from college campuses and writing those horrid blogs on his website. (laughs) I mean, that's what he was known for, for most of the two thousands. If that doesn't get a single mention, then this thing is just, it's so dishonest. If if you want to be objective about Randy Savage, be objective about the ultimate warrior. Well, I'm sure they're going to with Booker T. They're going to bring up the arrest. Well, yeah, but I'm sure they're not going to, I'm sure they're not going to show the triple H promo, by the way, from 2003. I'm sure, I'm sure the, uh, yeah, I'm sure the warrior one will mention like the SummerSlam 91 holdup, but I, I'm very curious how they handle his later years, because if we want to talk about people that were not good outside of wrestling and supposedly he turned it around just like Randy later in his life. But for a long time, man, you would be hard pressed to find anybody that would say anything good about this guy. So we'll see how they handle his documentary in a few weeks. Um, The other documentary I want to talk about here before we close it up is the two dudes with attitudes documentary that debuted on Peacock WWE network. I got it here on the screen. Let us know your memories. If you're watching the show on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, whatever of Michaels and Nash in the mid nineties in the WWF. But Justin, you were the first of us to see this one. Uh, we've all watched it now. Give us your thoughts. I've watched it twice now. <laughs> That's right. It was on the background God. before we were getting ready to record. It, it, it's just, I guess, after watching the Piper doc in the Savage doc and the Pillman doc, it was just a fun, you know, 50 minutes. And compared to those other docs where they're encapsulating an entire career, and oftentimes with, you know, a tragic end, this, you know, a lot of their docs, not just this one, WWE, that is, they're just about a little snippet in time. And unlike, especially with uh, Dark Side of the Ring, where you just, you know, half that documentary documentary is just like shadow stuff, like where you can't really see who the person is, but it's inferred that it's, you know, Pillman or, or whoever, mm-hmm. um, this you get all just the juicy archive footage and the backstage footage. And, you know, like one of my favorite things is there's this very brief moment where it looks like they're prepping Sean for an interview. And, and he's like, I'm going to say, I'm going to call him Kevin. Is that all right? If I call you Kev and he's like, yeah, that's fine. You know, that way it makes it a little bit more realistic, you know, just that kind of small stuff. I, I love to see. It doesn't really mean anything in, you know, the bigger scheme of things, but it's just fun. Like after uh diesel won the title and MSG and you see the quick moment where King Kong Bundy, you know, congratulates <laughs> him. It's just, you know, that stuff's just kind of fun. Um, for One big takeaway is Kevin Nash needs to be a talking head in every wrestling documentary. He just had a lot of great tidbits. I'll, I'll let uh, Kyle give his favorite, but some of the other ones that I thought were really neat and towards the very end, when he's talking about when he's leaving, you know, he's talking about, you know, Sean just wanted to be res- a wrestler. I just wanted to be wealthy, you know, <laughs> and that's why he left. And, yeah. and then talking about like, you know, Sean was pissed because he spent two years getting me and razor over. And now that he's world champion, you know, 
he could have gone off that for two years, you know, lived off, you know, those feuds, mm-hmm. uh, but they left. Um, and I guess the one big thing and the reason I was really trying to push you guys to watch it, cause I did watch it before you is it gets to WrestleMania 11 mm-hmm. and they're talking about it and, you know, they're starting to heap a lot of praise on it. I was like, Oh, okay. You know, not surprising. It's a WWE doc. They're, they're blowing up their own stuff. And then it's like, it just, keeps going and going just talking about this match. Like it was a five-star match and it changed the wrestling industry and it just became a full-on Bukaki. <laughs> it was outrageous. I couldn't believe I was just stunned. So <laughs> you specifically pointed me to this segment that you were going to want to talk about it. So I, I was very attentive during that portion of the program. And I'll say this friendship is a beautiful thing, <laughs> but uh, it can also be a detriment for a main event level feud in pro wrestling. And a big reason that program didn't work uh, for WrestleMania 11 is the two good friends didn't or weren't able to convey any sense of real hatred. And they kind of they, they didn't say that outwardly because they'd be you know talking bad about themselves. But I always thought that was a big issue with the program that mm-hmm. you, you you just never believed that Sean and Diesel really hated each other. Um, you know, one thing that would be just terrible today is like you would have people arguing well, what match should have gone on last at WrestleMania 11, and people just making all these bad faith arguments and dying on the sword for both. Look, neither program was successful. <laughs> of those two at WrestleMania 11, Diesel Michaels or uh, LT Baylor. I don't think either thing accomplished uh, what it was set out to do. And, you know, as far as that match telling a great story, which is what they were all <laughs> saying, uh, I don't, th- it told a story, but I don't think it was that great. And it could have been better. Now, David Shoemaker, at, before I, I explain why I don't think the story they told that night was that great. David Shoemaker actually had a very funny joke. I I hate to say it, but he compared Michael's performance in that match. And we've joked about it on this podcast before to a lead guitarist in an opening band who just keeps soloing (laughs) the whole time. And and that was funny that he said that because that's what it was. Michael's was very much look at me. Now, why it wasn't a good story. And they kept hitting on this that everyone's like, oh, man, this Shawn Michaels is like really freaking good. And yeah, when you watch that match, it's very obvious that Shawn Michaels is really freaking good. Here's the problem. You kept the title on Kevin Nash for eight more months <laughs> when that was very obvious. Yeah. And, you know, I have always thought that, you know, turning Shawn babyface was the right move after that. I mean, he essentially babyface himself in the match and he, he was a very good babyface. I liked Shawn in 1995, but... They should have had Sid beat Nash like right away at the first in your house and then had Sean beat Sid at SummerSlam. He could have won King of the Ring, like which was originally talked about, and beat mm. Sid at SummerSlam through the diesel heel turn earlier. There's your fall program, Sean and Nash, what we got at Good Friends, Better Enemies. And Sean can go into the iron match with Brett as the champion, and I think you've got more options there. That's your 1995 in a nutshell from where I sit. I'm surprised you guys missed this, but I mean, the real story that the WrestleMania 11 match told, the big, great story that the WrestleMania 11 match told was that 
Pam Anderson and Jenny McCarthy did not give a F about professional <laughs> wrestling. No, I mean, uh, Pam Anderson could have cared less. I mean, you could tell all of her appearances. I mean, she was just not really. A, who was into WrestleMania less, Pam Anderson or Jenny Garth? <laughs> She, remember, like, remember yes. she, the, the stories about Jenny Garth and Russell that she like just left right away. I don't think she came back out for the Bret Hart celebration. Probably Jenny Garth. Yeah, <laughs> but she also got less money too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was a good watch. It's a good nostalgia watch. Honestly, I wouldn't mind watching it again either. Uh, it's like Greg said in the chat. It was a puff piece for sure, mm-hmm. uh, putting these guys over, but. Reliving some of that, that that's the nostalgia in you, you know, the mid nineties, fun, fun era to watch as a kid. So I enjoyed watching yeah. it. I didn't think it was like any kind of great hard hitting documentary. Yeah. I did like the, the stuff that Justin mentioned, those little snippets backstage, the ones you called out were the ones I would have mentioned too, yeah. where Sean, cause they had just talked about how Sean was, you know, a little jealous that Diesel got the belt before him. Cause that's what he wanted to do. You know, like Nash also talks about how, you know, that was Sean's dream, not really his. And and then they go to that clip, and Sean almost looks like he's in tears a little bit. Yeah. Well, okay, okay, real quick. That are you talking about the one where he's talking about? Can I call you, Kev? Yep, yep. That had to have been after WrestleMania twelve. It was. That's a yeah. great call by you. That that was that was something I noticed. I'm almost positive that interview was from the free for all before Good Friends Better Enemies. Mm, yeah, I might I see, actually bet money on it. To be honest, I, with you. I noticed for much uh, more. Uh, embarrassing and in my wheelhouse reasons because of how sweating. long and sweaty hair his hair was and he didn't yeah. have the mullet anymore exactly and he still had the mullet at 11 yes oh, yeah. that's right yeah. yeah so i think we've nailed that down um i have a question we're talking about a lot of documentaries and now we did obviously talk about AEW blood and guts too but and you know there's a lot of documentaries right now dark side of the ring just started up this A&E thing's going, you know, WWE Network will occasionally have these fun ones. But man, is it our age why we're more drawn to these documentaries? Or does it say something about the current wrestling product, specifically WWE, that we would much rather, yeah, I don't want to speak for you guys, but I'll speak for myself. We would rather talk about documentaries than weekly wrestling television, <laughs> at least weekly WWF television, I should say. I think it's a little of both. I think no matter what, you're always drawn to the stuff you watched as a kid. Yeah. Um, so I think we're, we have a little bias there. There's no way around that. I think anyone is always going to be drawn to that stuff. But look, there's no sugar, sugar coating. And WWE's product right now is not good. <laughs> Monday Night Raw? <laughs> yeah. What's so, gonna be what's gonna be more fun? Cesaro losing clean at WrestleMania Backlash and going back to just putting everybody over, or Char- <laughs> or you're from Justin's or, eye right now, yeah, or Charlotte pinning Oscar to win the Raw Women's Title. <laughs> Everyone tunes out. Yeah, no. I mean we're down to the hardcores. Not not many less people. Not many more people can tune out. I think mm-hmm. so. Man, I mean that's. That's a full show, guys. That's pretty much everything we wanted to cover, wasn't it? We did it. All 160 spots wow. I wrote down. Pretty timely, too. <laughs> I was a little worried this was going to be a two-hour show. I mean, I don't mind talking to you guys for two hours, but for the listeners' sake, trying to get the downloads, when they see a two-hour running time, they're probably like, pass. So <laughs> we, got, we handled it well. We got everything out we wanted to say. This was fun. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to, like I said, I'm looking forward to this interview we're doing with Liam on Monday. Make sure you guys are subscribed so you don't miss it. That will be on the YouTube channel. It will also be on 
all the podcasting feeds. So check that out. Watch Dark Side of the Ring. So you know what we're talking about when we talk to Liam O'Rourke on Monday, early next week. Buy his book if you already have it. Yeah, I mean, highly recommended. Check our archives too, by the way. Uh, Liam's been on a couple of times, but the first time he was on was in uh, the spring of 2018. It was right after the book won Wrestling Observer Book of the Year. And we talked to him all about the process of writing the book, Pillman's career in general. That would be a great primer for the episode next week. So go back. I think his name's definitely in the show title. I, I want to say it was March of uh, March of 2018. So listen to that show. Check it out next week. Tell your friends. As I've said this before. The best way to uh, get more listeners to tune into Top Rope Nation is for you all to spread the word. That's going to do way more than me paying for advertising, which I still do anyways. But, you know, I, we expand our reach when people tell their friends. I think that's how a lot of our uh, hardcore listeners over the years have, have found out about us and become patrons and support us however they can. And we appreciate all of that. And I appreciate talking to Justin and Kyle every week. Follow them on Twitter at TRP Kyle at Justin Joint, J-O-Y-N-T. I'm at Ryan Drosty. That's D-R-O-S-T-E. The show is everywhere at Top Rope Nation. We're on Instagram. We're on Twitter. Of course, YouTube. Join the Facebook group. You can find the link here in the podcast description. We're super close to 300 members on that. Put us over the top. Join the Facebook Pro Wrestling Discussion Group. It's Top Rope Nation Pro Wrestling Discussion. Top Rope Nation only fans. That's a new one we're starting. <laughs> Justin posts himself without, uh, you know, without a shirt on. We do some photoshops with his his head on Shawn Michaels' body. That kind of thing. <laughs> <That's> a, <good laughs> time. a certain 1996 spread. Yes. <laughs> oh, with that. Said, How did guys, you know it was a girly bag? You just had to flip uh, through the pages, didn't you? That was a great line. That was. <laughs> that that was, was I love it because Brett kind of laughed at it. He didn't mm, want it. Yeah. Yeah. Say what, man? My feet feel a little toasty right now. <laughs> See that whiskey? Hey, there it is. Time that well. The last mm-hmm. step. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we hope you have a great weekend. Thank you for your support. As always, take care. <laughs>